Good morning. Um, um, some of you might know that my, my wife, Nolene, is away in Australia. She's been away for um, three weeks, six days, and 15 hours. Um, and she'll be back in a week, one day, and four hours. Amen. Um, in a long time, I shared with someone who's not a, a member of the church and just a friend we were talking about just how the week's going. I explained I was really, really busy and it was quite difficult without my wife being here. I explained she was away for a while and then we spoke about our plans for the weekend and then I happened to mention that I'm getting married on Saturday. Or no, sorry, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. I said I was marrying someone on Saturday. And so I understand the confusion, especially after speaking about my wife being away for so long. And I realized the shock look on his face. I said, no, 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 no. I'm, I am marrying someone as a church pastor. Um, so uh, we did that yesterday. Robin's, uh, Mersha's older uh, daughter, Robin, was married yesterday. Wonderful ceremony out near Humansdorp. And that's part of the reason why we have some people missing this morning. A lot of, or some of our church members uh, stayed over for the weekend. They're having a wonderful time there today, I'm sure. We also had a car of uh, disciples go through to East London this weekend to encourage our brothers and sisters there. So isn't that awesome? But it's great to have you guys here, although we are a slightly uh, smaller group. Uh, I believe I need to click this forward now. Uh, maybe not. <laughs> there we go. Okay. Amen. Don't worry, that's good. No, it's fine. No problem. We shall cope. <laughs> Maybe I left out a slide. Anyway. Okay, so uh, we are focusing on the Holy Spirit this year, and in fact it will be probably longer than a year. And I just want to recap uh, as kind of introduction to what we're going to discuss today. Uh, we have seen how the main, the overriding ministry or purpose of the Holy Spirit is to bear witness for Jesus. Right? John 15 passage over there. And... If we are spirit-led and spirit-filled, we share that purpose. You want to know what your main purpose is as a Christian? It is to bear witness about Jesus. It is to testify about Jesus. It is to shine the light on Jesus, just as the Holy Spirit did. And then we, a month ago, started a kind of a mini-series. We, we, look, we are looking specifically at the ministry of the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit does in support of that purpose. And we have seen how the Holy Spirit brings life. Uh, the Holy Spirit was behind the original creation. The Holy Spirit is behind new creation. Through the waters of baptism, we, we are new creation. And the Holy Spirit is the agency of that, of that new creation. We are a new person with a new purpose. We are new life in Christ. And that is the agency of the Spirit. Secondly, the Holy Spirit connects us with God. The Holy Spirit helps us to know God in intimate relationship. The Holy Spirit helps us to pray to God, to listen to God, to really make sure that we understand the will of God. You know, to really give witness to Jesus, we need to know the will of God. And that comes through being in close relationship with him. And then the Holy Spirit leads us into truth. The Holy Spirit is described as a spirit of truth. The Holy Spirit helps us to understand scripture. The Holy Spirit helps us to wisely apply scripture. Um, the Holy Spirit points us to Jesus, who is the Word. The Holy Spirit is our internal teacher, in a sense, to help us to understand the Scripture. So that's a critically important role of the Spirit. And then last week, in kind of different workshop mode, we um, 
together developed an understanding of how the Holy Spirit builds community. And we saw how the Holy Spirit empowers us to love one another, to be completely united with one another, and to serve one another, including with the spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit gives as he sees fit. The spiritual gifts are there to help us to serve one another and to edify, build up God's church. And today we're going to speak about another role of the Holy Spirit that will bring this uh, little mini-series mini, mini series to, to conclusion. We're going to speak about how the Holy Spirit convicts. But first, let me pray. Father God, we, we read in your scriptures that Jesus was full of grace and full of truth. And God, as, as I bring the message this morning, I pray that you will fill me with grace and with truth, God. I pray, Father, you will fill us all with grace and truth, that we do not err on one side or the other. And Father, as we um, dig into your scriptures this morning and really try to listen to what you want to say to us, God, I pray that, that you'll prepare our hearts for a message that is challenging, God. I pray, Father, that we'll be, we'll be convicted, God, and that even as I use that word convict, that we'll understand that there's a lot more to that word than we typically think and might think we know. So I love you, God. I pray for this time that it glorifies you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so uh, the passage of scripture we're going to look at this morning in John uh, chapter 16 is part of what is known as the farewell discourse. Uh, it is the uh, chapters from John 14 to John chapter 17. And this passage of scripture is a critically important passage of scripture. It is profound. It is foundational to our mission and our purpose in the world. And one reason being that it includes, um, it, it includes teachings about the ministry of the Holy Spirit that we don't find anywhere else. So it's really important that we understand what, what is said in, in this extended uh, passage of scripture and particularly the verses we're going to look at today. Now the passage we're going to read from today, I'll put up there in a moment, is part of a section in which Jesus is preparing his disciples for what they're going to face in the world. He says to them, you know, just as I was persecuted, you're going to be persecuted. Just as I was hated, you're going to be hated. And then he says to them, you, you'll be thrown out of the synagogue and you will be killed as I'm going to be killed. Now imagine you, imagine you in that group, right? I mean, it's tough enough that Jesus has prepared them that he's going away and then he they said, no, that this is the kind of future they're going to face. And Jesus is not going to be there with them. And I was thinking, don't you just love Jesus? I mean, he tells it as it is, right? Um, no watering down of the truth. He says, I'm going to be gut level honest with you guys. I'm not going to say it's going to be easy. It's going to be tough. As the world treated me, they're going to treat you. Um, you're going to be persecuted. You're going to be killed. Now, his disciples are rightfully concerned. They're worried about how they're going to cope with all of this. Um, they've never had to face this sort of stuff before. And then Jesus tells them how. Nevertheless, after all the other stuff he's told them, the tough times, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. I'm not sure how they understood this. He says, it's going to be okay uh, because I'm going away. And because I'm going away, I'm going to send you the help. And it's actually better that the help of the Holy Spirit is going to be with you. And then he explains that the Holy Spirit is going to act 
as their paraclete, which is translated in a number of ways, the helper, the comforter, the advocate, and the term that I really like, which I believe applies to us nowadays, is personal trainer. You're going to have your personal trainer. He's going to strengthen you. He's going to equip you. Work with him, and you're going to be able to get tough, and you're going to, you're going to be able to face all of these, these trials. So, you know, he tells them that it will be better that he goes. And this, this word that is used, uh, the one I mentioned, sometimes used is comforter. I think we must be very careful here. This word, comforter, it doesn't, what Jesus is saying, he's not saying that the Holy Spirit will comfort them by taking their hardships away. What he says to them is that the Holy Spirit will, will provide he will provide the much-needed comfort as you go through these trials. As you go through these trials, the Holy Spirit will comfort you. He will enable you to endure them. He will help you to deal with the imprisonments and the beatings and the violent deaths that you face. And this is a truth that God seldom takes our hardships away. God seldom takes our hardships away. You know, there is a belief system that God is there to make our lives comfortable. No, the Holy Spirit is, after all, our comforter. But no, in the Bible do we read about God acting in that way. In fact, if you're a Christian and your life as a Christian is very comfortable at the moment, hunky-dory, no resistance, no problems, it is likely that you are quenching the Holy Spirit, who, if he's active in your life, will challenge you. And he will stretch you to testify in ways that are likely to attract opposition. Leading a hassle-free life is less likely to be a sign of God's blessings than it is a sign of us not living in step with the Spirit. It is more likely to be a sign of us quenching the Spirit in our life and not doing the will of God than it is a blessing of God. And I think that's an important starting point for, for today. You know, so in this chapter, um, you know, Jesus prepares his disciples how they're going to be treated by the world. Um, you're going to be rejected. By the way, the world here refers to the unbelievers. We'll get into that. The world are the people, the unredeemed people, unbelievers who reject Jesus. So this is how the world will treat you, he says. I'm going to send my spirit. And now he explains how his spirit will deal with the world. Every other reference to the Spirit in the Bible is how the Spirit will deal with believers. This is the only passage in the Bible that explains to us how the Holy Spirit will deal with the world. Okay, so let's carry on reading in verse 8. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father. And you will see me no longer concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. You know this word, convict, verse 8, he will convict the world concerning sin, is normally understood as a change of heart resulting in some action. Like, I was so convicted by that movie last night that I just must, I must tell the people, my close friends and my family that I really appreciate and love them. I was convicted by that movie. I was cut to the heart. I must act on it. Now we understand that the Holy Spirit 
does act like that. The Holy Spirit does soften our hearts and bring us to that point of, of conviction. But that is not what this word in this context means. That's not the primary meaning here. This refers to, it refers to the conviction of a criminal in court, in a court of law. You know the word convict? It also is a legal term, right? That criminals are convicted for breaking the law. They become convicts. Uh, you know, for example, that murderer was found guilty and he was convicted of his crime and sentenced appropriately. It's a legal word. It means to prosecute. It means to indict by evidence. That is the meaning of the word in this passage. So the Holy Spirit will indict the world. He will prosecute the world. And he will find them guilty about sin, righteousness, and judgment. Now the NIV, this is taken from the, the ESV. Those of you want to check your NIVs, the NIV words it slightly differently, which I believe captures the meaning a little bit better. Uh, the NIV reads, sorry about that. Thought <laughs> I had it here. Yeah, thank you. He will, I got it. He'll prove the world to be in the wrong about sin, righteousness, and judgment. The Holy Spirit will prove the world to be in the wrong. You understand that's what a prosecutor does? You know, if someone claims to be innocent, a prosecutor in court proves him to be guilty. He proves him to be in the wrong. And he does that by presenting evidence and getting witnesses to testify, uh, to support the prosecution. So Jesus is not saying here that my Holy Spirit that I'll send will make people feel bad about sinning. He is saying my spirit will show the world that they are guilty and that and he will render a verdict. You know, the same word is used in uh, 1 Corinthians 14. The context here is that Paul is correcting the Corinthian church. Their worship services were a little bit chaotic. They were especially focusing on speaking in tongues. And it it was chaotic. And he says, man... You know, apart from the fact that the worship services just don't glorify God, when visitors come to you, they think you're crazy. That's what he explains, and then he tells them what they should focus on. For if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and inquires, inquirers or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you're out of your mind? But if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and brought under judgment by all. As the secrets of their hearts are laid bare, so they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. Okay, so he says, don't focus so much on speaking of tongues and all these woohoo, nice feelings. That doesn't glorify God. It doesn't, it doesn't help visitors to know me and to worship me. He says instead focus on prophesying. Now prophesying here means uh, refers to speaking the words of God to one another through the scriptures. Prophesying is digging into the word of God, sharing the word of God, being excited about the word of God. Now, so he says, if everybody wants to contribute, rather contribute by reading scripture. That will convict people. And he says, they'll be convicted of sin and brought under judgment. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit convicts of sin and judges people you're guilty. And the response will be repentance, making Jesus Lord, which is expressed in worshipping worshiping God, and realizing that God is really among you. This really is a part of God's kingdom. This connection between conviction by the Spirit and a judgment. It is more than just, you know, they'll be convicted in their hearts and feel guilty. 
It's not just that. It's not a feeling. It is a reality. They'll be convicted. They will be judged and found guilty. But getting back to um, our main verse here, passage, this word con- convict comes from a court setting, as I mentioned. Now, those of you who have been around will remember there's another court setting explained in this uh, broader passage of Scripture. We previously saw how the Holy Spirit acts as our advocate, which is also a legal term associated with a court setting. And in the court setting, picture the setting. You know that in this court setting, Jesus is the accused. Jesus stands before a world that is critical of him, a world that rejects him, a world that is telling all sorts of lies against him. Jesus is in the dock. He's the accused. The Holy Spirit is his attorney. He is the defense lawyer. And the defense lawyer testifies about Jesus. The defense, the Holy Spirit testifies and witnesses about Jesus. He says, no, Jesus is not like that. This is what Jesus is like. And he calls us up as witnesses. We too will be witnesses. So imagine we called into this court and the, you know, the defense lawyer calls us up and says, right, Neil will now give his witness about Jesus. And so we witness about who Jesus really is. We say that no, Jesus is who he said he was. Jesus did in fact die and was resurrected. Jesus does in fact reign. He is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. I know it, I've experienced it, I've seen it. Jesus is telling the truth. Okay, so you imagine that, but then what I kind of picture in this court setting, there's a dramatic moment. The defense attorney suddenly becomes the prosecutor. He turns to the world and he says, right, now that I've established the innocence of Jesus, let me deal with you. And we then are called up as witnesses again, because the Holy Spirit uses spiritual people. So the Holy Spirit now is prosecutor for the state, the state kingdom of God, right? He's kind of prosecutor for God's kingdom. He then confronts the world sitting in the gallery. And he says, not only are you wrong about who Jesus is, you are, you are guilty. You should be in the dock. And then he calls us up as witnesses to convict the world, to help convict the world of their sin, to find the world guilty, and then to impose an appropriate verdict and sentence. Imagine that. This is, this has cosmic implications. The court setting is just the universe really. You have Jesus, you have God, our triunal God, God the Trinity. You have Jesus in the dock. You have the Holy Spirit as switching between the lawyer and the prosecutor. You have God as the judge. God is the judge. You have the believers testifying for Jesus against the world. And you have everybody else, the unbelieving world, accusing Jesus. Now that's what's playing out here. You know, so this is this court setting. And verse 9, and we're going to dig into this. What, what does this mean that, you know, the Holy Spirit will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment? The next three verses give us insight into what that actually means. And that's what we're going to spend the rest of the time looking at. Verse 10. Sorry, verse 9. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Now this, this verse actually addresses a fundamental sin. This, this verse addresses the most characteristic sin of the world. It's singular sin. There is one sin that is at the root of every other sin, really. In terms of how people treat Jesus. And this word unbelief isn't, um, I don't believe in Father Christmas and I don't believe in Jesus. That's not, 
That's not the unbelief that's spoken about here. The unbelief, unbelief in the Bible refers to a rejection of Jesus as Lord. If you reject Jesus as Lord and King, you do not believe in him. You do not place trust in his life, and you do not yield to him, you do not submit to him. And that is the characteristic sin of the world, that the unrepentant world is judged on and found guilty. You do not submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That's the sin of unbelief. And, you know, I, I was thinking of this, that, you know, most people, most people think that they're generally good people. Most people do. I think very few people will meet will say, you know, I'm just a complete wretch. I've never done any good deed in my life. I'm just totally depraved. And most people will weigh up their sin with their good deeds and say, you know what, I'm kind of, you know, I've slipped up, but you know, I'm generally a, a good person. You know, I've done quite a lot of good deeds in my day. And to talk to them about sin in general often isn't the most effective way. As I say, most people weigh up their good deeds with their sin, and they kind of come out okay. Now, what works better, though, is getting to the sin that the Holy Spirit convicts the world of and saying, asking something like, so, do you acknowledge Jesus as Lord? Does he rule your life, or do you? Let's just cut to the chase here. Let's not try to draw up you know, two columns of, this is what I do well, this is what I don't do well. The sin that the Holy Spirit convicts the unbelieving world of is based on that question. Do you submit to Jesus as Lord or not? Who rules your life? Do you or Jesus? That is cutting to the chase. Getting back to this, chapter, uh, verse 10. You know, the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Jumping to 10. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Now, in these three verses, there's kind of a, a progression. There is a development of an idea. It starts with the bad news. right? I'm sure you'll agree with me that the bad news for the world is that you're guilty of sin. If you don't submit to Jesus Lord, you've been found guilty. There's a sentence. Now, the verdict is passed. The sentence is death. That's the bad news. And then he develops you know, the hope and the good news. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. The Holy Spirit then offers a pardon to the unbelieving world that is found guilty. So once again, using court language, right? You're guilty, you're deserving of death because of that sin of unbelief. But there is a pardon for you. The pardon is found in the righteousness of Jesus. Now, Jesus is righteous. Jesus is completely holy. Jesus is in right standing with God because of his resurrection. That's the good news. And the good news then is also that we cannot earn our righteousness. We cannot earn our righteousness. Jesus is our righteousness. So you might think, oh, this is impossible. How do I get out of this prison cell? How do I avoid the gallows? Right? We can't do anything. What we've got to do is submit to Jesus and accept the righteousness that he offers to us. And it is true righteousness because he has resurrected, he's ascended, he's glorified, he rules as Lord of Lords and King of Kings. That establishes his righteousness. You've got to be in right standing with God to rule on his behalf. Okay, so Jesus offers us his righteousness, the pardon, the right standing with God. Then he develops it, develops it further. Verse 11, concerning judgment, 
because the ruler of this world is judged. The Holy Spirit convicts the world of judgment. And the point is made, Jesus makes the point that God's greatest enemy, Satan, has already been judged. Satan is found guilty, he is judged, he is doomed, he's already defeated, but he'll be completely defeated when Jesus comes again. He still has power, but his wings are clipped. He has been judged. So we see this progression, progressive development of good news. Uh, The sin of unbelief in Jesus results in conviction, a guilty verdict, a death sentence. It can be avoided through taking up the righteousness of Christ, and when we do so, we avoid God's judgment which started with his enemies, his greatest enemy, Satan. Now, if God can judge Satan and defeat Satan, how encouraging should that be for us? You know, God is completely powerful. God deals with sin and unrighteousness at its root. He has already judged Satan. So that is, that is the good news, part of the good news. But the point here is that the good news of the gospel starts with bad news. You know that apart from Christ, we're convicted, we're found guilty, we're sentenced to death. And that has all happened in the cosmic court setting. That's the bad news. But the good news is that we are pardoned if we take up the life of Christ and his righteousness. We are pardoned. We avoid God's judgment. We avoid the sentence of death. Let me just mention something about the Gospel of John that might put things in a bit of perspective for you. The Gospel of John has been described as an elephant swimming pool. Have you heard that reference, maybe? Okay, a lot of Bible scholars latch onto this. The Gospel of John is an elephant swimming pool. What do you think an elephant swimming pool would look like? Apart from possibly being dirty, but let's not worry about that. It's deep. Right? An elephant swimming pool has got to be pretty deep. And the Gospel of John is like an elephant swimming pool because we can... We can float on the surface and we can benefit, we can see, but we really benefit from reading the Gospel of John at a deeper level. That's just the nature of the Gospel of John. We benefit, you don't have to be a Bible scholar to you know, take the deep dive, but today we're taking a bit of a deep dive, and we need to at times to fully understand and appreciate God's Word, right? So it is a bit of a deep dive. Um, if you are more comfortable drifting at the surface, amen. You'll benefit from that, but when we, especially when we read the Gospel of John, when we're willing to take a deep dive, we discover a lot more. And if you take a deep dive into the Gospel of John, you see all sorts of themes. And this theme of a court setting repeats itself over and over again. John sees, you know, God's plan playing out on this cosmic level as this cosmic court scene, where all the players are and the players have different roles. And there's a very, very clear call for Christians what our role is. We witness for Jesus, for Jesus, and we witness against the world. And it starts with witnessing against the world, convicting the world, led by the Spirit, convicting the world of their sin of unbelief, convicting the world that you are guilty of not making Jesus Lord. And from the good news then developing, sorry, the bad news then developing the good news. So what does this mean for us? And I want to illustrate this, just a practical application of this in Acts chapter 2. Eventually get there. Acts chapter 2 from verse 36. Now, what is going on here is that Acts chapter 2, well, Peter, Apostle Peter here on the day of Pentecost is, delivers this amazing sermon that really kickstarts, you know, the early church. Just reading from verse 36. 
Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. So in this uh, sermon, Peter, filled with the Spirit, uh, establishes that Jesus died, but more importantly, Jesus resurrected from the dead. He establishes that Jesus was from the line of David, and then he strongly makes the case that the resurrection of Jesus establishes him as Lord and King. It's the resurrection of Jesus. And then earlier on, Peter, Peter says to them that he accuses them very directly. He says, you with the help of wicked men, had Jesus put to death by nailing him to the cross. And yeah, he says to them, Jesus, sorry, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. So think about this. This isn't a typical good news of the gospel message. Yeah, it's there. You know, the resurrection is great news. But he is absolutely led by the Spirit, bringing the world to conviction. He's convicting these guys, you know, these unbelieving Jews. They were unbelieving at the time. He is convicting them, he is building evidence against them, and he's saying that you are guilty. You are guilty. Right? And that was the, you know, that guilty conviction, that guilty verdict, and the sentence associated with that, then led to the cutting of the heart. They were convicted at that level. Right? So there's a, there's a conviction by a prosecutor, and then there is a conviction, a cutting to the heart and a softening of the heart. In this passage, the point is that spiritful people witness for Jesus when called to the witness stand by the Holy Spirit as his, in his role as the defense lawyer. But spiritual, spiritful people also witness against the world when called up by Holy Spirit in his role as kingdom prosecutor. We are called to witness against the unbelieving world. Now for many of us, me included, it is difficult enough to witness for Christ. Only me. We find it hard sometimes to share the good news about Jesus you know, and to witness for Christ. And I think even more of us struggle with witnessing against the unbelieving world. When you're called up by the Holy Spirit as prosecutor and he says, speak the truth to these people. Be like Jesus. Don't hold back. You're not doing people a favor if you do not, if they do not understand they are guilty and sentenced to death. Let them understand that as well. That is part of being a spirit-filled people and a spirit-filled church. We must allow the spirit to use us to share the bad news that unbelief that not submitting to Jesus results in sin and death. As well as the good news that Jesus is Lord and that he has dealt with sin and he has defeated death and that by submitting to him, we share in those victories. The bad news and the good news. You know, so in Christ, filled by his spirit, we are God's prosecutors. We prosecute the unbelieving world. And we do that through proclamation and witnessing. And that is a continuation of the tradition of the Old Testament prophets, John the Baptist and Jesus himself. They all pointed out the guilt of the world, 
They pointed out the guilt of God's people when God's people were behaving no differently to the world. And that is the tradition that we continue. Now the prophets, John the Baptist, Jesus, laid their sin bare. They rendered a word, the world, sorry, they, they rendered a verdict of guilt. They spelled out the sentence and the consequences. And we are to do the same. Led, of course, by the spirit of power, of love, and of discernment. And we do this using the, the truth of the scriptures that the spirit of truth gives us. And that the spirit of truth helps us to understand and to bring across in a way. Now there's a balance, of course. I don't think we are called to street corner preaching, you know, preaching fire and brimstone. But we do need to boldly proclaim the bad news of the world's guilt as much as we proclaim the good news of the pardon offered by Jesus. Remember, we're called to be the salt of the world. And salt in a wound is not pleasant. But it's necessary, and certainly it was in those days before they had antibiotics, it was necessary to disinfect. And while, pain, while painful at the time, um, it brought about the desired effect. And when, that's, when that wound was disinfected and the person was healthy, they would appreciate what you have done for them by rubbing the salt into the wound. And I think it's the same. And yes, I think the problem is, and the problem with me is, um, I don't know how people are going to respond. But that's not our business. Because the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin, righteousness and judgment. We can't do that. But we've got to partner with the Spirit. We've got to be willing to witness for Jesus and against the world. And then just trust the Holy Spirit will do the conviction. He'll make the guilty, ver- you know, the, the guilty verdict. He'll put on their hearts that they are lost, not only lost and guilty, but they've been sentenced and they face death unless they repent and make Jesus Lord. Church, we must, we are called as a spirit-led people, if we're genuinely in step with the spirit, we must witness in these ways. Now, how do we do that exactly? I can't tell you that. There is no procedure manual for every single situation we find ourselves in. But I do know that if we submit it to the spirit, if we yield to the spirit, In the moment, we will know what to say and what to do. That is how the Holy Spirit works if we yield to him and we submit to him. As I was preparing this lesson, I really had it on my heart to share um, part of my witness and testimony that, um, to be honest, I only became aware of recently as I studied out this passage and I was reminded of um, the healing that Jesus did when he healed a blind man. And you remember that, you know, he, he healed him, but then the guy couldn't, couldn't quite see properly. And then Jesus healed him properly. Do, do you think Jesus made a mistake? Do you think Jesus kind of had a bit of an outage of power there or something? No, the point is that sometimes it takes a second look. And I think that's a good lesson for us. Sometimes you actually have to go back and have a second look. And, you know, I think even as we look back, each of us, certainly me, if I think of my walk with Christ and, you know, different things that happened that helped me eventually submit to Jesus as Lord, I see things now that I didn't before. And I think taking a deep dive into the Bible does kind of, you suddenly realize, oh, that's what happened and that's why it happened. So that's what I'm going to share with you guys on this topic. Um, I took a while to uh, submit to Jesus, as you most of you know, seven years. Um, I had different guys 
share the gospel with me. But then I had one guy in particular who, who was my peer. He was more than my peer in business and spiritually a lot more than my peer. And he built a great friendship with me. And he was the guy who actually helped me to see my sin. And he was the guy who had enough courage to tell me the bad news. And up till then, I understood the cross, awesome, Jesus died for my sins, isn't that amazing, isn't that the good news? And I was, I was cut, but it wasn't the right kind of, it wasn't this kind of conviction cutting. And he didn't mince his words. He just said, no, Neil, this is taking a bit of a while, let me just cut to the chaser. Kind of paraphrasing a bit. He says, you know, you're in the darkness, you're guilty as, he used a word. <laughs> and unless you face up to that, we just can't move forward. You know, if you read the Bible, you're clearly on the wrong side of God. You're guilty. And he didn't use these exact words that I've used today, but essentially he was saying the same thing. And the Holy Spirit convicted me. Not just that I wasn't right with God, and it's going to take a little while. The Holy Spirit convicted me that I had been found guilty. And that the sentence for my guilt was death. And that if I didn't repent, I was going to die. We're all going to die, but I was going to die an eternal death. That I, There was no chance of hope for me. There was no chance of resurrection. And there, a moment came, and I can't remember exactly when it was, but I absolutely had the fear of God in me. I loved hearing about the love of God, the mercy of God, grace of God. In church, we love to pray those things, don't we? And it's awesome. But Jesus is, a, Jesus is full of grace and truth. We need to pray and speak about the truth as well, even when it's uncomfortable. I had a guy who loved me enough to do that told me the truth and the Holy Spirit convicted me that I'm guilty. I've been sentenced by God and I'm in the gallows. And that helped me wake, get a wake-up call and soften my heart. And then the other conviction that we speak about, now my heart kind of was open and I was convicted that I'm in sin. But there was a criminal court conviction equivalent of me. And I only kind of realized it, realized it now. But it was, it was important that I had somebody... Willing, willing to be a witness for the prosecutor Holy Spirit. I had someone who was called up by the Spirit and he said, right, Neil is in that audience in the unbelieving world. This is the truth you've got to tell him. He's guilty. And church, we all need to go through that stage. Um, and if you, you know, there might be some people here this morning who who have been around a while and read the Bibles, who believe in Jesus. The bad news is that if you do not, if you have not submitted to Jesus as Lord, you do not believe in Jesus. That's what the Bible says. And I think the danger is when we think we can think we're on a, we're kind of halfway, we're on this journey, we're either in the light or the darkness. We're either guilty or our, or our guilt has been dealt with and we're pardoned. There is no intermediate way. And I encourage you, if you are here this morning, the Holy Spirit is convicting you of your guilt. But luckily, there is pardon. And I want to read from Isaiah 55, verse 7. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them return to the Lord, and he will have mercy on them and to our God, for he will freely pardon. In Christ there is pardon. 
You know that presidents nowadays have the power to pardon people. In other words, they've been found guilty, but I'm actually going to set you free. I'm going to release you from your prison sentence. I don't think worldly presidents always do that wisely, but amen. God does it wisely. And it is based only on one way. There's only one way to be pardoned, and that is through the, the blood of Christ. It's accepting that we cannot earn our way to a pardon, that Jesus has secured it for us on the cross, and that if we don't accept the pardon, there is judgment coming our way. But the good news is that the ultimate enemy, Satan, has already been judged, so the victory has been done. And I pray as we come to the, you know, the Lord's table this morning that we will reflect on these things. And I think even for us as disciples who've been around for a while, is your life too comfortable? Is it maybe because you are not submitting to the Spirit? Because the Spirit wants to make our lives uncomfortable in a good way. He wants to give us the courage and the boldness to stand up against an unbelieving world and to, in truth, tell people where they are. In truth, in love, to tell them where they are and then to share the good news of the gospel. That they are guilty, but in Christ they are pardoned, and only in Christ they are pardoned. Let's pray. Father God, as always, as we read read your scriptures, God, and learn a lesson like this, I just stand in awe of you, God. Father, I pray that you will put in our hearts an understanding of, of who you are, God, that you are love, but that you are also God of justice and judgment. And that you are a God to be feared, not if we are in Christ, God, but you are a God to be feared by the unbelieving world. I pray, Father, that you'll give us courage to preach the gospel in its fullness, God. And that the gospel, although the gospel is the good news that a king has arrived, the flip side of that, God, is if we do not recognize Jesus as king, that we are, we are convicted, God, we are sentenced, the verdict has been passed, we are guilty and deserving of death. We are on death row, God. I pray, Father, that we will appreciate the work of Jesus in pardoning us. Thank you, Father, for your plan. We are totally lost and incapable of earning any righteousness on our own, Father. Thank you, God, that, that our righteousness is in Christ and that as we submit to Jesus and through his death, burial, and resurrection, that we can be in right standing with you, God, and that we can avoid the judgment. That the, un- that the unbelieving world faces. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.